A warning, today's episode will discuss alcoholism and adult situations. If these things are triggers for you, you may want to stop now and try another episode. Also, while I have your attention, alcoholism is a disease. Today, we will be discussing the delusional human mentality surrounding the ego. This is not advice on how to deal with addiction. It is only thoughtful conversation in regards to examining our own egos. Thanks. I'm just starting to realize in my life because I'm starting to be in such a self-reflective moment that I always really wanted to be a comedian, but I was never bold enough to say that. I think my necessary delusion at 11 was just to not piss my dad off. I just think that that was just the biggest thing. It was just like, he was just always just seemingly angry. And this my goal in life was just to, can I make this guy laugh? Can I make him not seem so serious all the time? And it seemed like such an important task because of course he's such an important person in my life. It was just like, I need to make this nigga lighten up. He was such a serious kind of man. And the only time I would ever see him laugh would be on Friday nights when he would watch Def Comedy Jam. So I would always just be like, that can be my connector with this guy. Cause you know, we didn't have a close relationship at all to this day we don't, but I thought that that could be the thing I wanted to be a musician. I guess rapping felt like the cooler thing to say. At that time, I was just starting to get into drums. I love drums. And I think that because I was going to church, you know, at the time, religiously, no, no pun intended. I just love the idea of what a drummer stood for. The drummer was so important. The drummer could speed the song up. He could slow the song down. You notice when the drums left. So I just felt like I want to be that important to an ensemble. Like I can kind of control the tempo like I don't know if you've ever been to a black church but they start playing what they call Holy Ghost music and the music like boom, chicka, boom, chicka, boom, chicka, boom. and like the drummers like basically controlling that and then like people really got, got into their God moments I just thought I would love to be the controller of the tempo Welcome to the show. Thank you for being here with me, Earth Monster. I'm your host, Matt LeBlanc, and today I'm going to skip the Friends joke because my guest has never seen an episode of Friends. This is Your Necessary Delusion, the storytelling show that celebrates vulnerability and speaks to the darkest, messiest little parts of your heart about the lies that we tell ourselves every day, the stories that we use to get out of bed, the fantasies that we let propel our lives. And if we are speaking to you, then please subscribe to the podcast. Write us a review on Apple iTunes. That's the Purple Podcast app. Because if you like what you hear, we have epic stories coming out every Monday. My guest today is a legend within the confines of his own mind. He's a hilarious comedian and an extremely underrated rapper, in my opinion. You might know him from MTV's Wildin' Out or All Deaf Comedy on YouTube. It doesn't matter if you call him Fat Drake, Jabeta, the King of the Sixes, or the Streets. He's got a lot of nicknames. His mother called him Anthony, and the neighborhood back in Sacramento called him Fat Tony. He is a ridiculous and delusional earth monster who has used fantasies to create himself. Can you tell I'm excited that he's here? Please welcome a guy who knows how to tell a story. My friend in real life, Doughboy. Delusion. I think a lot of the way that I even move in life comes down to the way that I learned how to swim. This is in Sacramento. This is early 80s. So parents back then didn't think of daycare for children. It was me and my sister. They would drop us off at the pool. You basically paid 50 cents to get in and you could be there all day. So they would drop <laughs> us off before they went to work, right? And they wouldn't come to get us until they got off work. So ne neither me or my sister knew how to swim. Our parents didn't have money to get us lessons. Neither one of them knew how to swim, but they would hang out and stand in the shallow end all day. So we just kind of knew stay out of the deep end that was the one rule you don't know how to swim stay out of the deep end so very early on i realized that people were having more fun in the deep end like the water seemed bluer it seemed colder people were jumping off the <laughs> diving boards and it just looked like a really good time versus the people that didn't know how to swim you had the girls sitting there with their feet in the pool the games didn't seem fun or whatever so in my mind i was like i need to get over whatever fear i have of the deep end to learn but i, I didn't have anybody to teach me lessons no one to teach him lessons so he would just stand in the shallow end every day talking shit and watching the deep end kids have more fun now everybody knew that i didn't know how to swim everybody used to call me fat tony it was just like a whole thing fat tony that was the first nickname doughboy has always been overweight and he thinks of himself as the guy that keeps the tempo 
So he made sure that everybody knew he was Fat Tony and he didn't know how to swim. Every day, all day, he would stand in the water and watch the kids play in the deep end. Every day, until today. They see me walk down to the deep end. I remember my sister looking at me like, what are you doing? Everybody looking at me, right? I'm like, I don't care. It was like that moment in the sandlot when Smalls jumps into the deep end, except in this case, Fat Tony was bigger than most of the lifeguards. I walk to the 10 feet and I stand on the edge because I'm like, if I don't get over this fear, I won't be able to have fun. Delusion! I, I thought about life like that, like fear will stop me from having fun. And I remember looking at the lifeguard, but he's looking at me like, come on, don't. Do you know you don't know? I jump in the water. <laughs> he jumps into the deep end and sinks immediately to the bottom of the pool. The lifeguard jumps off his chair with the flotation device and drags him back to the top. I don't know about you, but in my mind, I like to imagine the lifeguard is tiny and struggling. <laughs> he jumps off, the, the thing comes out, so he came, he dragged me out the water. Long story short, I would do this every day of the summer. Every day I would go in and jump and they would have to pull me out. Every day he would sink to the bottom of the deep end and thrash his body around to try to swim back up. And every day, the lifeguard would jump in to help him. And then the lifeguards would get so irritated that I started to tell my parents, like, look, Fat Tony is going to drown himself one day. What is he suicidal? <laughs> you got to stop this. But every time I would jump in, I would be less afraid. They would let me stay down there a little bit longer. Then they'd be like, hey, are you kidding me? And so one day I floated to the top and I miraculously knew. Every day he used his delusion to walk over to the deep end. And every day, little by little, he taught himself how to swim. That's how I have always been in my life. I feel like you're not living if you're scared. You gotta go to whatever is making you afraid and you have to confront it. Cause if you don't, you'll spend a life just putting your feet in the pool. I don't know if that makes me smart or dangerous or a little bit of both, but that's just how I look at things. Ta -ta delusion. I don't think Doughboy will mind me saying this. He's probably one of the more necessary delusional people that I know. And like all of us with this superpower, it's also one of his greatest obstacles. He is a big, bold, complicated character that keeps the tempo of any environment that he's in. Whether it's appropriate or not for him to be playing that role. When we worked together at All Deaf Digital making comedy videos for the internet, we both started out as lowly writers at the bottom of the food chain. But you would never know it from watching Doughboy. He would march into the office at 10, 10.30 in the morning. That was an hour late as far as most people were concerned. And instead of slinking quietly over to his desk to immediately bury his face in his laptop and look busy, that was always kind of my move, Doughboy would announce himself to the whole building from the door. The streets is here! He called himself the streets. As in, the streets are talking. As in, we were a content company and the streets were listening. He gave himself that nickname. He gives himself all the nicknames. Self-obsessed or branding expert? Surprise, he's both. He would march into the bullpen 300 plus pounds and loud with a tiny backpack thrown over one shoulder and he would walk around to everyone in the office one by one to say good morning. I'm not kidding. Shaking hands, hugging people, greeting them like he hadn't seen them just 12 hours ago. Sometimes he would pop his head into the boss's office like, oh, are you having a meeting? I just got here. I was going to say what's up. He did this every day <laughs> and it worked for him, but I'm jumping ahead. First, you've got to hear about the delusion that got him started in comedy. So I actually tried comedy for the first time when I was a freshman in high school. There was a talent show and I was just like, yeah, I'm going to try this. I went up there. I seen these girls in the front of the audience and I kind of singled them out. First, I started talking about how Sacramento had beautiful women. I was like, hey, give it up for Sacramento, man. Sacramento got beautiful women, man. It's a bunch of beautiful women in Sacramento, man. Then I looked at this group of girls and I was like, "Woo!" Y'all must be from out of town, which I thought, <laughs> I thought this would be hilarious, like your reaction now, but these were popular girls and no oh one, God. they just all looked at me like, fuck you. And I was just like, oh God, I didn't say another joke. I ran, they started booing me at that point. I run off the stage and just like, I'm terrified, right? He went backstage already planning to never try comedy again when his big sister Kiki came back to find him. I'm a freshman at the time, my sister's a junior. My sister is super popular. She's like the, the woman on campus, everyone knows her. She comes backstage like, look, you're embarrassing me. You gotta go back out there. You're funny, you always make us laugh at home. Go back out there and do it. I'm like, you're right, Kiki, I got this. I'm like, yeah, man, y'all ain't gonna run me off here. I'm coming back. And so the crowd is hyped, like, oh my God, this little fat nigga's back, okay, cool. So I go out <laughs> there, I'm ready to like redeem myself. Once again, I'm picking out people in the audience. So I'm like, so Mexican people, huh? 
how come if you fight one Mexican, you got to fight the whole family? Literally, the silence that I got before, I got double that. Then a super big Mexican dude in the back stands up and was like, I'm going to fuck you up, puto. And I run off the stage again as they are booing me again. I stopped. I swore it off. Like, I would never do this again. He swore off comedy at that point. He decided it wasn't who he was. Delusion. So he followed music. He kept the tempo, he started rapping, and he put out gospel albums. His friends would always tell him to try comedy, but if you know Doughboy, then you know you can't tell Doughboy anything. He writes his own story. So by the time he was 26, he was still in Sacramento making music when his daughter was born. So then when my daughter was born, when I was 26, my best friend Justin from Sacramento, he was like, hey, you know what I'm saying? You're a super funny dude. I think you're funnier than people I pay to see. You owe me $300. You don't have to pay me back if you go do this open mic. So at that point, I was able to physically say, oh, I'm going to do it because my friend is telling me to do it and I don't have to pay this 300 Delusion! But I think I always wanted to do it, but I was afraid. What did you owe the 300 for? Huh? I owed him the $300 because it was Kiara's first Christmas. I was just short on cash. So he had loaned me some money because my daughter's born in September. So this was her first Christmas. She didn't know what the hell was going on. She was only two and a half months old. But I just was like, I got to have a bunch of presents. So he had loaned me the $300 to get my daughter some gifts for her first Christmas. That was a sweet delusion. $300 to buy an infant her first Christmas. You would think he would have been able to scratch that itch for $100 or maybe even $50, but that's not the kind of earth monster Doughboy is. He jumps into the deep end. Doughboy went to the open mic to pay off his debt. Delusion. But to his surprise, he killed it. People laughed and it just took off right away, like instantly. Like I was in a comedy competition a couple weeks later. I won $1,500. I don't know that I was good. I think I just kind of had that blind ambition and it was just throwing everything out there. And so within six months, they were looking for TV personalities for a local station. And so I had won that through like a 12-week competition. So Within six months of me doing comedy, all of a sudden making about four grand a month to be on TV. I'm doing comedy clubs in the city. He spent another three years in Sacramento keeping his balance of comedy and music, sometimes getting paid for it. Sometimes he worked at Allstate Insurance and stole lunches from his coworkers. Seriously, he stole them out of the refrigerator. That's a great story, but it is a delusion for another day. <laughs> Eventually, he started feeling like a big fish in a small pond, and he decided it was time to move to L.A. You have a very sure idea of who you are and who you want to be. Yes. And you are going to get all the stuff to make sure that you look like the guy that you want to be so that you can meet that goal. Absolutely. Oh, no, I'm telling you, man. And, and you're definitely right with the 300, you know, being that for me because I needed something physical and tangible to propel me to chase something that I really wanted to chase my whole life. But I didn't have the stones at the time to just stand up and say, hey, this is something I want to do. So it was I was able to attach it to, hey, it's this thing. It's this 300. It's my friend. This is really the reason I want to do it when it really wasn't that at all. It really was an underlying me believing that that was what I was supposed to do. A lot of people believed in his move to L.A., but a lot of people doubted him, too. On his last night in town, he had this big goodbye party at a comedy show where he was performing. And even though he was running around telling everyone his story, I'm moving to L.A. tomorrow. It's time for me to show the world what I can do. He bombed that night. He remembers a friend pulling him aside like, are you sure this is what you want to do? But you can't shake Doughboy like that. He writes his own story. So my entire life never really touched alcohol. Mind you, up until 30, I had never even been drunk. I knew that alcoholism ran in my family. I never really knew the men on my dad's side of the family, but I knew that my grandfather like had died from alcoholism. And you just kind of knew there were addicts everywhere on both sides of the family. So I spent the first 30 years of my life so scared of alcohol that I don't even touch it. By the time I moved to LA, because I moved to LA at 30 to pursue comedy, I had started to pick up drinking just by doing comedy clubs and just you know it's just kind of the culture people come it was like a social thing after moving to la it wasn't long before he started working his first break was on mtv he got cast by nick cannon to be on wildin out quick note from my mom mom wildin out is a hip-hop improv comedy show on mtv where two teams of comedians compete in improv comedy and freestyle rapping in front of a live studio audience 
Doughboy ended up being a regular performer for five seasons. So professionally, things were going really well for you at this oh, point. Oh, things were great. I already had the wilding out thing going, you know what I'm saying? So that was cool. But, you know, wilding out was one of those things where it would come along once a year. You're shooting for a couple of weeks and then you're just waiting for the episodes to go up, you know, a few months later. You don't know how much time you're going to be on each episode. You know what I mean? He was getting a lot of attention. People started to recognize him on the street. In one part of his life, he was feeling very successful, but he had a lot of time in between seasons. A lot of time not working, a lot of time without a lot of structure. It can play with your head. He had started drinking more socially, but then he just started drinking more on his own too. Then it turned into a, I'm doing this because I'm depressed thing. You know what I'm saying? Like I'm not, you know, where I want to be in my career. Like I started drinking more at the house. I've also, you know, suffered with my weight. You know what I'm saying? My entire life too. So I had ballooned up to about 485 pounds and I elected to get weight loss surgery, the gastric sleeve, where they remove 80% of your stomach, da, da, da. They tried to warn me to talk to a therapist before I did this. Like, look, a lot of people develop... <clears throat> new addictions because obviously my addiction was the food that's how you end up at 486 pounds i'm just acting like just a ridiculous you know the, in the black community for whatever reason we don't value mental health or at least i didn't so i'm like whatever i'm not talking to no therapist i'll be fine so i had basically what was transfer of addiction so i became a full-blown alcoholic this is around the time that me and you met i was just becoming a fully functioning alcoholic around that time. As I said before, Doughboy and I worked together at All Deaf Digital. We started around the same time, and two things were true. I love Doughboy. I also saw him do a lot of pretty questionable things, because for a long time, I didn't know that he was an alcoholic. I never saw him drink. We would drive to work together sometimes, an hour there and an hour home. We sat together in the office all day. One day he called me out for a sidebar. He was constantly calling for sidebars. Sidebar! Matthew! Sidebar! I'm working. Sidebar! We walked outside in front of the building and he was like, big news, man. I'm finally doing it. I'm getting married. I was like, I didn't realize you were seeing anyone. Remember, we were together for 10 hours a day at this point. He was like, yeah, man, old girl and I got back together on Monday. We broke up two years ago, but we're going to make it official on Friday. Just like that. Then we walked back inside the office and I watched him pull every other person aside to share the good news. Then he sat at his desk and he wrote his vows, which were, of course, a wrap. He wrapped his vows. And then on Friday, he actually got married. <laughs> the marriage lasted 84 days. I'm pretty sure he let me know it was over in a very similar sidebar. It had just been a short-lived delusion that life could be that easy. I thought it all sounded pretty unbelievable until the next year when I did almost the exact same thing myself. I was sober when I had went to a wedding of yours and then I had, you know, broke my sobriety there. You know what I mean? By no fault of your own, but I was struggling. So what happened was you were going to come to the wedding. Then you can't, you text me while I was at the wedding. The day, the of. day of you text me. I'm like, why am I talking to Doughboy right now? I was at the venue in my suit getting ready to do the first look, actually, if I'm being totally honest. <laughs> you sent me a seething text. I showed up because of the text that you sent me. I mean, I was like, I love Matt. I can't not. I gotta go. We had paid for you to come. <laughs> I had double checked right. with you. It was a whole thing. But he wasn't saying why he couldn't come. And I didn't know that he was an alcoholic. As it turned out, he had been on the wagon and he was afraid to be around a bunch of people who were drinking. I remember because you were like, come or don't come. Either way, quit quit texting my phone because I was <laughs> blowing you up. And then you mm -hmm. end up showing up early and you're in the pictures. It's weird. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he decided to come after all. He actually left the house as soon as we were done texting and he showed up before any of the other guests. We were taking pictures with my family at the time. So he just got in the pictures. <laughs> hey, scooch over mom. This is a celebration. And then I drank. I'm telling you, I was with him. I remember I had 50 days of sobriety around and I lost it. That And it wasn't your fault. It was just I wasn't, you know, I, didn't I wasn't know. ready. Yeah, and I wasn't really being 100% honest with everybody about how serious of a problem. Because I was a functioning drunk, you know? Super functioning. You and I were driving to work at some point <laughs> during that, during that no, point. You, it turned out that whole wedding was just a dress rehearsal anyway. You got you, you got to meet my soulmate here. That was a past life. To tell you the truth, I was so fucked up during that time too and so unhappy. I was telling myself my own story. This isn't falling apart. It's just that wedding planning is stressful. Delusion. So Doughboy broke his sobriety and I got divorced three months later. I didn't tell anyone when it happened. I just went to the office every day and smiled like I was a happy newlywed. Delusion. I had not been happy for a very long time. And my energy got toxic. Believe me, I was playing out a whole fantasy of my own. 
and I regret a lot of my behavior during that time. Shout out to the squad. If any of you are listening, I was an asshole. I can see that now. I only have love for you guys. But that is a delusion for another day. Little did I know, Doughboy's life at home had gotten pretty dark as well. I would go to work. We were usually there like 10 to 6 every day. It was actually 9 to 5, but who's counting? Monday through Friday. And we'd be shooting stuff every day. We'd be writing stuff. Me and you were both really, really competitive in the writing space and all that. And so we're doing that. And then by the time I got home, 7 or 8, you know, I'm nestling up next to a bottle of Henny or whatever I can get my hands on. About a fifth of night, which is 17 shots. Don't ask me how I know how many shots are in the fifth. Just know that I know. How does he know? So when you're a person that's had weight loss surgery, they took 80% of my stomach. So 80% of the stomach that normal people have to absorb alcohol, I didn't even have that. So really me drinking a bottle a night was like the average person drinking too. I remember one time, like I came to work and I like, you know, shook somebody's hand and gave him a hug. And mind you, this is like 10 a.m. They're like, yeah. whoa, you just take a shot? I'm like, nah, like I, I was drinking last night. Delusion. So I was drinking so much, it was always coming out of my pores. It was just one of those situations. The best thing that Doughboy and I got to do together at All Def were the Fat Drake music videos. Doughboy did all the heavy lifting there, but we had a good time. Doughboy is an underrated rapper, in my opinion. I love his songs, but believe me, having a white kid from the suburbs be like, you're the greatest rapper of all time, is kind of like having your mom really relate to your music. Anyway, Doughboy kind of looked like Drake, except he weighed 300 plus pounds at the time. So he started calling himself Fat Drake and rapping only about food. I directed some of the music videos. Doughboy was always talking about the studio. Man, yeah, probably gonna go lay down some tracks at the studio this week. One day he invited me to go along with him. And honestly, I was very excited. I had all of these images of him in the booth rapping and I'm standing at the board smoking a blunt like Jimmy Iovine or something. I don't know who I thought I was. Anyway, we talked about it all day. Yeah, man, studio today. Yeah, man, studio today. All right, man, after work, you gonna drive to the studio, right? Yeah, I could drive to the studio. After work, we get in my car and I am now at the whim of Doughboy's directions. Take a left. Matthew, go straight. I'm already going straight. We pull up to an apartment building and I was a little confused. He's like, yeah, man, the apartment's up on five. I was like, apartment? Do you live here? No, no, man, a guy that I know. We go inside, and I'm expecting to see an apartment renovated as a music studio. Not what I found. When the door opened, it was an apartment. This guy let us inside and took us to the back to his bedroom. He had a, quote, studio in his closet. And when I say studio, I mean Doughboy stood in the closet by himself. He didn't even stand. He sat in a rolling desk chair. The microphone sat on a desk. I sat uncomfortably on the guy's bed while Doughboy laid down the tracks. I only bring this up because Doughboy had been talking about going to the studio for weeks. And I realized in using that one simple word, it painted a real picture. It just sounded better than saying, yeah, man, today I'm going to go lay down some tracks in this guy's unfinished closet in his second bedroom. Dope. I don't know if you remember when you had to check me at the Summer 16 video. Remember me and you got into a little spat because I was trying to drink Coronas. You were like, hey, can you not? I'm like, man, who do you think you are? You're not my dad, are you? (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, man, shut up, Matthew. I do what I want. But I was starting to get that reputation of the guy that would drink on set. It it wasn't that I was shut down, but it was just you could start to see the wheels fall off a little bit when I got a little bit too inebriated. At some point along the way, I left all deaf, and after my ex and I split, I moved out of the apartment that we had been trying to make work for three years. And I moved into my new bachelor spot to live out my very new, broken and soul-searching, but extremely single fantasy. It was a dark fantasy, but that didn't mean I couldn't have fun at the same time, right? Delusion! Doughboy and I lost touch. We were both going through our own stuff, but while things were falling apart for him at home, They started to go really well at work. He got a new series on the YouTube channel with his best friend, Teddy. It was called Teddy versus Doughboy. We would just always challenge each other to do dumb shit, whether it's playing basketball or smoking weed. It was just big brother, little brother type shit. So we had a challenge where we both made a song and I had made a song called King of the Sixes because I was basically saying, I like mediocre women. I don't don't like dime bitches. I'm a King of the Sixes. They competed in producing the songs and they each made a music video for the episode. You can watch all of this on YouTube. So I remember the producer asked me like, well, what do you need for your video? I was like, 
already got some extras for the video. I was like, I need a bottle of Hennessy. I just said it like it was regular. I remember they were like, uh, real Hennessy? I'm like, yeah, Hennessy. <laughs> da, da, da. So I'm thinking that. And so I literally get to the set. The set was in the office. So while Doughboy was shooting his video, there are meetings going on, investors, brands, real businesses happening everywhere. And I crack open the bottle. I'm like, it's going to look more real if I'm drinking this. And I remember the producer looking at me like, and I was just like, and so now I'm just drink the whole bottle of Hennessy I drink and then I'm just getting entirely too comfortable I walking around the office with my shoes off with the bottle in my hand like there was investors there I was in denial being an alcoholic can give you a PhD in denial he didn't get fired but it was close and he knew it his whole story was starting to fall apart quickly it was me and my good friend, Teddy Ray. So we were hanging out at my house and I had gotten drunk and I needed to go to the bathroom to go pee. So I'm walking to the bathroom and I can see the toilet, but you know, I'm drunk. So I see three toilets. So I'm trying to get to it. I trip, I fall and my face almost hits the back of the, the toilet. So it's like, instead of my face hitting the back, my shoulder and all of my weight hits it, but I hit it so hard that the toilet completely comes out of the ground. So the entire toilet comes up out of the ground. And so now there's water leaking everywhere. So I'm like, oh shit, Teddy, come in here, help. Uh -oh. Teddy runs in and we're like grabbing towels and we're trying to pour the toilet back up. <laughs> I ain't never, you know, it just makes you feel fatter than ever when you hit a toilet and it de-earths itself. But see, the thing that scared me was, you think, what could have happened? Because Teddy was asleep at the time. So if I would have like fallen one inch to the left, I could have drowned in the toy, like, and that just would have been a terrible way to go. And then my girlfriend that I was dating at the time, she was just like, listen, you value this relationship. I need you to get some help. And so I remember just being like, I don't really want to just go get some help. So I'm just like, all right, I just wanted her to shut up at the time. Like, I didn't even really think at the time I really had a problem. I was just like, okay, I'll do it just to kind of get you off of my back. So I'm thinking in my mind, okay, I'm just going to you know, it's almost like you're starting a diet on Monday. Okay, I'm going to drink as much as I can this weekend. So she calls, she sets it up. They're like, okay, have him come in on Monday. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to turn up. I'm going to drink over these next couple of days because I'm never going to be able to drink again because I'm going to go get saved and live a sober life. I don't have to call out all these solutions, right? You hear them. Because that's probably what should happen. So Did you believe that? I didn't really think I had a problem at the time, but I thought... I knew that I had a problem, but I don't think I respected it enough. So it's almost just like, I have a problem. Let me just go and fix it. But I don't really think it's that big of a problem. Does that make, if that makes sense? I think it makes a lot of sense. My own delusions certainly don't deal in black and white with hard defined borders. My delusions are squishy, gray, adaptable matter. They could be big or small. They could just fill in the cracks if I need them to. They're shapeshifters. And if you start to talk too much sense and I see the truth peeking out, my delusions do not have to fight your truth. They will accept your story in, and then they will twist it around and hang on to the most essential parts of my unconscious bias. So it's like my girlfriend and everybody around me was like, you got a fucking problem. I'm like, nah, I really don't. But in my back of my mind, I'm like, I probably do have a problem. And I was scared because what if I just would have woke up with a face in the toilet dead? Like, so I'm yeah. just like, I should go. So she calls and she sets it all up. So I'm drinking over the weekend, just <laughs> I had taken a break from work and they were very supportive of this. They were just like, you know, yeah, go do what you got to do. You'll have your job when you come back. But I, in the back of my mind, I'm just like, I don't really need this shit. And so at the time, Teddy was actually staying with me. So he stayed like crashing at my crib. So I'm like, listen, you know, because he didn't have a license at the time. I'm like, listen, you can drive my car from time to time, but don't do too much. Keep the house cool. You know, so I'll be back in 30 days. Teddy agreed not to smoke in the house or keep any alcohol there either. So on Monday, Doughboy's girlfriend dropped him off at rehab. So Monday morning comes. So now I'm at rehab. I'm going there instantly judging everyone that's there. Like you motherfuckers have problems. So soon as I show up, I knew something was wrong because I smelled weed off of the nigga that was at the reception desk. I'm like, why do you of all people smell like weed? And he just seemed like he wasn't supposed to be there. Delusion. But at the same time, I'm extremely drunk because I've been drinking all weekend. As soon as I go in, I'm like, sir, you look like you're smoking weed. Why are you of all people behind that goddamn desk? So I don't trust you. So he entered the rehab drunk and belligerent, like a lot of people that he was seeing in the rehab. The problem was Doughboy couldn't see himself. 
So then I'm there for maybe six or seven hours just filling out paperwork. It was so much paperwork. Six or seven hours of paperwork? Mind you, now this time all the liquor is starting to wear off. Because it's been a couple hours. Now I'm irritable. Now I'm cranky. Because when you're drinking like I was drinking, now it's it's a dependency thing. Like my hand would start shaking at four o'clock if I didn't have a drink. So now I'm just starting to get irritated. Like, why am I here? This is stupid. At this time, I'm starting to see a bunch of different questionable individuals coming in. Just, you know, because this is a rehab. I'm just judging everybody. Like these goddamn drunks. Everybody was coming in looking hosed. They just, everybody looked like they was coming in off of a vendor. And everybody was cranky and irritable. So I remember seeing a lady coming in. I remember it was a white lady. Her hair was messed up. And I remember seeing a dude come in. It was like a bigger Mexican dude. And you, you could tell they were just kind of coming down off of whatever they were doing. So I'm instantly, you know, judging everybody like, y'all got the problem, whatever. Y'all got the problem. I'm just trying to fill out my seven hours of paperwork in peace, which is very frustrating because I was up all night drinking. Ya drunks. Stay tuned after the break, but first, 143 means I love you. Do you know that code? 143, I love you. It's like the number of the letters in I love you. If you have love for the show and you want to support us, send us $1.43 to at your necessary delusion on Venmo. Or you can just send as much or as little money as you want, and we will consider that love. Thanks, guys. We are back. We last left Doughboy hungover, cranky, and filling out seven hours of paperwork to check into rehab. Not off to a great start. First, they took me to the detox house. So I go there for 72 hours. And they don't really bother you. They let you sleep as much as you want, eat as much as you want. And this is why, like, most people gain weight when they go to rehab. Because it's like, eat, motherfucker, just eat. So I'm there. I'm just eating snacks, popsicles, sleeping it off. So that was the three days. It was chill. So after the third day, then that's when they transferred me over to the dorm. And now I'm around more people. But it wasn't just for alcohol. So you can have people coming in for whatever they're coming off. And people aren't that easy to get along with. So it was this really, really big house in Inglewood. It was like almost like a halfway house. As soon as I go in, it's like you're just seeing a bunch of dudes there. They're like cleaning. They're like cooking. It's like this whole little community. I'm like, oh, okay. They were just wearing regular clothes. I don't want to say like had like pajamas on, but I've never been to a halfway house, but I can only assume it's like a bunch of people from jail. They would all eat together. Everybody kind of had like chores. I remember they had like a lot of rooms. They had like this one really big spacious room and it was like they had like eight beds in it. So it was almost like jail. He didn't trust it right away. He was judging the other people there, and it may have been his brain chemistry changing in the absence of drinking, but he didn't trust the staff either. And even when I was seeing like how they were running it, I kept having a feeling like something's off here. I had never been to rehab before, but it just didn't feel right. I was just like, I don't trust these people here. I just, I be having a sixth sense about things, and I'm usually right. Delusion. He didn't want to be there, but Doughboy isn't the kind of person who can just hang in the back either. He usually makes sure everyone knows who he is, except in this case, he didn't really have a choice. He had been on MTV for five seasons and a major YouTube channel, so he was pretty recognizable. That's another thing, too. I got noticed instantly when I go in there, so oh, people right. knew who I was. They knew who I was from Wild Out. I mean, they some people knew who I was from All Def, so everybody would kind of be like, oh, man, say something funny, man. So then it was like I almost kind of like had some clout and stature up in there, you know what I'm saying? But the, the downfall was everybody just wanted me to grab a spoon and do a set or something. I'm like, nigga, nah, I'm in <laughs> rehab with y'all. I'm trying to get help. Why? I'm not going to do a hot 15 before lunch. No. Except Doughboy sets the tempo. And since he wasn't taking any of this seriously, he's keeping the tempo pretty upbeat. I'm always me wherever I go. So once I get in there, like now I'm just like, I got to just have fun with it. So I'm in there talking to everybody. I'm rapping. I'm just, just all of me, whoever I am. I'm that guy. The upbeat, kind of famous, completely delusional new guy on snack duty. I did cook. I got really good at making grilled cheeses. Yeah. I had never made grilled cheese, but like I would be like on snack patrol because that's what they like encourage you to do. Like eat like that's why you never know anybody that goes to rehab. Nine times out of 10, they're coming out a little bit more fluffy because they just encourage that. So I was like the, the grilled cheese guy. Like, you know, late at night, like I would be making grilled cheese for the entire dorm. 
He was popular, which meant he got a lot of attention, which wasn't always a good thing. That would be the, the other thing, too. They would try to overly impress me with their funny. Like, I was there scouting for talent. Like, no, motherfucker, I'm trying to get some help. Shit, leave me alone with this shit. You ever, like, you ever tell somebody that you're a comedian and then their life's work becomes convincing you that people have been telling them that they should be a comedian? I'll never forget. It was a black dude. And once he realized who I was, he just would care. Like, so he was like, oh, man, people been telling me I, I've been funny my whole life. And so I just remember everything he said tried to become a joke to me like he would try to roast people in front of me he would try to roast me as if when we left i was gonna be like hey man so this movie in the script with de niro it's ready to go are you ready <laughs> he wasn't funny though so i got about six to eight courtesy laughs for any person then it's just gonna stop you're saying that you were judging everybody absolutely were you making uh, fun of people i wouldn't do that though that's the only thing just because i only roast willing participants i would just more or less like roast other people like if we're watching tv i'd be like oh man look at kevin durant's hair you know what i mean because i just yeah. didn't want to turn none of these people against me and plus shit i'm in rehab some of these motherfuckers is crazy i don't need that type <laughs> of heat on my back some of these motherfuckers were crazy and even though doughboy was pretty sure he didn't have a serious problem himself delusion he was seeing a lot of people that were in a really bad place. This is when I started to notice people that were there, they were doing weird shit. Like I seen somebody who was a slim dude. It was a Mexican cat. I snuck in some Listerine and drank it because it has alcohol in it. And I, I never seen anybody drink Listerine, but they were drinking it to get some effect from it. So like somebody was trying to get a fix. It was scary. I seen somebody drinking hand sanitizer. The person that I seen with the hand sanitizer was a white cat. He had long, like, stringy hair. And I just remember him just, I just remember just being so confused and then being, like, even more judgmental about everybody that was there. Including the staff. What I didn't like instantly was what they used to do with us during the day. Your day starts at 7. Everybody gets up and make breakfast. Then we all get in the van. So they would come pick us up. they take us to the, the center that I, I registered at. It was just like glorified babysitting. It was some of the dumbest shit. It would just be like, uh, we're going to give you some crayons and some construction paper. Draw a picture of what you think your life will look like if you're sober. Delusion! And then give you two hours to do it. I'm like, what the fuck is that? I'm not in kindergarten. I don't need finger paint. Give me tools so I can get off the sauce. It was like some of the drills were just so dumb. And then they would have us go to like AA at night. So like, you know, that was like the realest part of it. And I remember looking at the staff and I just remember just being like, I don't know what this is supposed to feel like, but this ain't it. In the competition between expectation versus reality, how often does reality really win? Sometimes I find myself clinging so tightly to my idea. I don't give the experience an honest shot. Doughboy wasn't taking any great lessons away here, and he was trying to be cool because he still had three weeks left, and this wasn't a comfortable place to be popping off. But Doughboy isn't the kind of person who can keep his feelings bottled up. If he's thinking it, eventually you're going to hear about it. Whatever I'm feeling on the inside is starting to just become closer and closer to the surface. So let's just fast forward to about day 14. And by then, I had even earned privileges to like be able to supervise leave. So now I'm being able to go with them to the gym, you know, give you your phone for 20 minutes, like just little stuff. But I'm ready to get out of here. I remember I'm calling my girl at the time. It's like, ah, I'm not really getting nothing out of this. At this point, I had gotten so fed up and the voices had become so loud. I had two things working against me. One, I felt like something shady was going on in this rehab facility. Delusion. And I couldn't shake it for anything. That was the one thing. And then the two was I was seeing real hardcore addicts in there. So I'm seeing people that's coming from court, people that have had DUIs, people that have lost everything. At this point, I have lost nothing. So when you see that, I didn't want to become that. But since I hadn't become that yet, I just thought like, Oh, that's what an alcoholic looks like. I'm not that. So, okay, I'm cool. So it almost worked against me. So I'm just like, look, y'all got some issues and y'all need to get this shit together. But me, I'm just going to go home. So I was ready to leave. That is a powerful delusion. The I'm ready to leave delusion. It's the let's forget about the potential that we may have thought was here and just move on to something else without thinking delusion. We have all used that one. Be careful where you let your brain go. Thoughts become words, become actions. So I was getting ready to go to my dorm leader. It was a woman. So I go in there to talk to her. I'm like, hey, can I talk to you? She's like, yeah, let's talk. So I go in there. I'm like, look, I don't know if this is really for me. 
I don't know that I'm really an alcoholic. She was like, you're absolutely an alcoholic. I'm like, no, I'm not. Like, you know what I'm saying? So I'm going back and forth with her. And so I'm just like, I think that I should just leave. She's like, are you sure you want to leave? I'm like, yeah, I just think that I shouldn't be here. As we're talking, all I hear is boop, 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 boop. So I'm like, I know that kind of not. And so even she kind of had a look on her face. What? And before I could say another word, boom, door gets kicked in. Federal agents storm the room. Not necessarily guns drawn, but in my mind, I see guns drawn. I was like, oh, shit. Freeze, freeze. Are you a patient or are you part of the staff? I'm like, what? I turn around. It is swarming with federal agents. They're like wearing black jackets that say FBI on the back. And some of them have vests on. And as they kind of take me out of the room, I'm seeing all the people that are in there with us are coming out of like the classes. And then it's about 150 patients, maybe 40 to 50 staff and like 30 to 40 feds. And so now we're asking questions like, yo, what's going on? So apparently the place that I was at, the rehab facility, they were doing a bunch of insurance fraud. And so they were basically like getting people off of the streets, people that were having problems, but then they were like starting insurance claims in their name and getting paid buku money. All the officers are coming around. They're talking to us. They're like, look, this place, we're not shutting them down, but you are free to leave if you don't feel right. So you know me, I'm just like, God must want me to drink. This is why this fed rage is happening. God must want me to drink. Delusion, yeah. I absolutely leave. So I'm like, you crazy motherfucker. Y'all deal with, this is all I needed. (laughs) I remember hearing this story secondhand when he got out of rehab. And at the time I thought it must've just been a good story that Doughboy told because he didn't want to say that he quit. As it turns out, his sixth sense about the rehab being untrustworthy was no delusion. That guy at the reception desk did smell like weed. The true intention of this whole organization had been insurance fraud, hence all the paperwork. In fact, this was one of three major federal raids that was happening around Los Angeles that day. So I leave and I literally go home. The only problem was he didn't hang around long enough to gather all of his stuff. He had his clothes, but he didn't have his keys. So he was locked out of his apartment. Luckily, Teddy was staying with him. So I call him, like, Teddy, the place got raided by the FBI. He thinks I'm full of shit. Of course. He's like, yeah, right. He thinking I'm just quitting. So I'm like, I'm headed to the house. You know, be there. Teddy wasn't able to get back in time, so the building manager let Doughboy into the apartment. So my job, giving him all the rules. I said, don't smoke cigarettes in my room. Obviously don't have alcohol in the house. Don't drive my car. I get to the house. The car is gone. <laughs> out driving it. There's an ashtray full of cigarette butts next to my bed with a bottle of tequila. I'm like, nigga, why is these things here? But of course he didn't know that I'm going to come home that day. Me thinking I got two weeks left in rehab. So when I go in the room... It's just total chaos. But in the middle of all the chaos was the bottle of booze on the floor. And I remember grabbing it and going and sitting down on the floor and just cracking it open and just being like, I'm going to do this. And maybe at that point I should have realized, bro, you have a problem. But I think because alcoholism is such a tricky, divisive disease that it can really work on your brain like that so in my mind i'm just like no it was almost like a sick twisted obsession with alcohol like they was trying to keep me away from you booze i'm back baby i'll never leave you so i had thought that this was just like some divine act of god you know what i'm saying that got me back to the sauce so that day i start drinking again i start drinking that day so now i'm back at the house and I'm just back into the water and now I'm drinking just because now I'm just like ain't nothing wrong with me they crazy I'm good so I'm drinking every day but what ended up happening was the next six months was so dark for me so dark he went back to work the next day it was a Monday he was drunk the streets is here hey streets you smell like booze and aren't you supposed to be in rehab for another three weeks he said the office was split on how to feel about his return delusion he started shooting videos for the channel again immediately if i went to rehab thinking i had a problem i got out thinking i didn't have a problem but shortly thereafter i realized i absolutely had a problem and i didn't really care i was just like okay i got a problem he embraced it he drank every day and made impulsive decisions he and his girlfriend broke up and he started seeing someone else and still everything career-wise is booming but life is just not so i'll never forget i met this girl and she had gave me some xanax great 
Now he's got Xanax. Just in case you were thinking there was something missing from this cocktail, the necessary delusion here seems to be that he was having trouble sleeping. He took one Xanax and slept like a baby, so the girl gave him more. I had like maybe six or eight of them, something to that effect. I remember just taking them and putting them in my pocket. Boom, boom, boom. So then I get back to the house and I'm stressing. There's a bunch of crazy shit going on and the other girl that I was dating, so I remember just being really depressed, really upset. And so then I start drinking. And so now I'm drunk and I just want to go to sleep. Can you see where this is going? He says he's never been a pill person. Doesn't even usually take aspirin. So I'm drunk off the Henny. I take one of them. I wait maybe two minutes because I'm drunk. I'm like, I don't feel anything. Literally take the rest of them. Uh... And then the rest of the weekend, blur. I just, I remember this girl had came over. And we had went to a Denny's. And apparently I was arguing with some gang members and I stood on a car. And, and the only reason they didn't beat me up or shoot me, apparently they came up to me like, hey, bro, we know who you is and you a funny nigga. And that's the only reason why we ain't going to beat your ass. That's what the girl told me. He doesn't remember any of it. When he woke up, he was in a detox facility. And they thought it was a suicide attempt. I'll never forget being in the room and I was acting like I was sleeping. They have to check on you like every two hours. Some of that came in. I'm faking sleep. And I remember it was two young nurses and they were talking and they th they're thinking I'm asleep, but I can hear them. And she's like, yo, did you see how much Xanax he had in his system? Like they might have to send him to the ER. Like they might have to pump his stomach. He might not make it. Like, and I remember sitting there just thinking like, this could kill me. This, this could stop being a conversation to me and it could start being a conversation about me. It was at that moment I recognized like, oh, Oh, I could die from that. And then not even knowing if I was going to make it out of there. It was, it was scary. He went back to rehab after that, a real rehab. I'd like to tell you that it was his choice this time and that he was ready to get sober for himself and that all of these lessons had stuck in one meaningful, inspired moment of clarity. But that is rarely how real life happens. It was for like the roast me season finale. Lights are on, nobody's home. I'm still drinking, I'm still functioning, but I don't remember shit. And it takes me 45 minutes to get to work. By the time I get there, the shoot's over. My supervisor at the time is like, yo, I gotta talk to you. I, I sit down and I remember, cause he was so nervous and me and him had best friends at the time. He was super nervous. He's pacing back and forth. He's wiping his hands on his on his thighs. He's just like, man, listen, man, you, you know I got a lot of love for you, bro. Like, you know what I'm saying? But you put me in a real tough position because this was a season finale and they had spent a lot of money so me missing it was right. a big deal and so i remember in my mind thinking i'm about to lose my job and you know what all death meant to me especially at that time oh my god so i remember just praying to god just being like okay god just give me one more chance just if you give me one more chance i'll figure this out okay i'm an alcoholic you got me god just give me one more chance i got it i got it i got it right delusion and so I'm just waiting for him to give me any verbal cue because even if he fires me, I'm going to cry <laughs> and beg him to <laughs> I'm That's the plan. Cry if he fires me. I'm like, nigga, you're going to see some tears today. And then he literally says, he says, bro, I'm going to just be honest. You got one more chance, man, if you mess up again. So I said, hey, bro, I'm going to go to rehab right now. I went down to, you know, one of the CEOs at the time. I said, hey, bro, I need some help. I said, hey, don't worry about it. We'll pay for your rehab. Just go get better. Your job will be here when you get back. They didn't want to lose him. Despite his erratic behavior, he had made himself a very important part of the ensemble. I would even argue that he helps keep the tempo in the group. Watch him unroast me. He doesn't always have the funniest joke, but sometimes he swoops in to take the L just when the group needs it. That's when I took the rehab seriously. That's when I completed the 30 days, you know what I'm saying, sober. That's when I completed the 12 steps of sobriety. I had 939 days, and that was a perfect mark. And that didn't get disrupted until... Last year, it was right after I found out I was bipolar. I guess we could talk about that another time. But I'm currently sober now. Um, you know what I'm saying? I'm currently 146 days sober. I haven't had a drink at all this year. And I'm really glad that you let me talk about this story. I'm a walking example of what people mean when they say God loves fools and babies, because I think I'm a little bit of both. But it, it could have gone so much worse for me you know what i'm saying so that's why i always like to use my platform to bring awareness and i know that you know when we talk about these crazy things we'll find the stuff that we laugh yeah. about or things that we find funny but i'm always looking to let people know like you know yeah like yeah these things are funny and thank god i'm here to be able to talk about it in a light-hearted funny way but it is a very serious thing so i always just encourage anybody who's dealing with that shit man if you feel like you got a problem you probably do and there ain't nothing wrong with saying that and getting some help
Whew, what a great story. And making this episode made me remember so many other beautiful little delusional things about Doughboy that make him Doughboy. I wish I could share them with you, but if there's one thing we can take away from this, it's that Doughboy writes his own story. He has spoken this person into existence, the guy that keeps the tempo for any environment that he's in. And even though he can be brash, he tries to be thoughtful about the energy that he's cultivating. He's focused on his health now. I got to make sure I eat right. I got to make sure I drink enough water. I got to make sure I get enough sunlight, enough sleep. I can't be around stressful situations. You know what I'm saying? I was, you know, still flirting with medication and just, it's so many, you know, working out. There's so many things that you have to do for your mental health. You know how I feel about my daughter. Side note, check my Instagram. Kiara is getting grown. She's a whole cheerleader now. Okay, that's No, no, no. I was going to ask you because we you talked about her first birthday. So, so let us know where she's at right now. She's a sophomore in high school, and it's so wild because I put up a picture on my Instagram of her with her pom-poms when she was two years old, and she was like, I, I want to be a cheerleader when I get to high school. And she's literally on the cheerleading team. She does great. She's a, a straight-A student, just such a great kid. It's just, it's just so inspiring just to see her. I want to thank Doughboy for his story today. Making these episodes reminds me that everybody has a story to tell, and making today's episode reminds me why Doughboy gets paid for this. I am such a fan of you, Doe. You can follow Doughboy on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at I am Doughboy. Doughboy is D-O-B-O-Y. Subscribe to his YouTube channel at I am Doughboy TV to keep up on all of his content, including his two podcasts, The Just Us League and Menace to Sobriety. Two is two uppercase eyes. Both of these podcasts can also be found wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're curious about Teddy versus Doughboy or the Fat Drake videos, they can be found on YouTube at All Deaf Comedy. Shout out to the squad. Thank you for being here with me today, Earth Monster. Do not forget to subscribe to the podcast. You can write us a review. It takes less than two minutes to do on Apple iTunes. That's the Purple Podcast app. You do it right on your phone. And if you want to support us, you can send $1.43 to at your necessary delusion on Venmo to show your love. Necessary is N-E-C-E-S-S-A-R-Y, Earth Monster. I see you. If you have a necessary delusion of your own and you want to share it, you can email us at yournecessarydelusion at gmail.com or reach out to me on Instagram at yesmatthew. We have got epic stories of success and redemption coming out for you every Monday. You're definitely not going to want to miss next week for a story that I am calling goal weight. My brother sat across the kitchen table from me would be having a mountain of chocolate chip pancakes, chocolate milkshake, two eggs, and bacon for his breakfast. And I was sat across from him with one egg and a fruit cup. And we would just stare at each other. A big thanks to Doughboy, a big thanks to you, and a big thanks to Paola Monterde, the love of my life, for always believing in my story. We'll see you next time. Right.